Recap Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you here on a Tuesday. You're listening to this on a Thursday. Colton Nuanas, Brooks Nuanas, wrapping all the way around the Big Sky Conference. A couple different things to, to uh, talk about here. Neither one of us have uh, done too much of a deep dive on the Montana State game against Moorhead State, only because an overmatched opponent and, uh, you know, definitely not – a playoff preview of any sort as a non-scholarship team in, in Bozeman and Montana State did their best to try to not run it up on them, and they still ran it up on them, 63-13. to 13. But Montana, big time, 24-7 to 7 win over South Dakota. Before we get to any of that stuff, I want to talk about a few different things. One thing we haven't touched on on this podcast, hardly at all, is the uh, guys from the Montana State team that we covered a year ago that made it in the NFL. And I thought it was a great story. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, but what did you think of it? Because, I mean, obviously Troy Anderson making the roster is not uh, in question whatsoever. Uh, but Daniel Hardy definitely had to do some work to make the roster. Lance McCutcheon is one of the best stories of the preseason making the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, and Lewis Kidd also. Uh, I think we both thought he was maybe a, a practice squad guy, and he makes the active roster for the Saints too. So four guys from one squad, that's about as many as we've ever had in our time covering the big sky. Yeah, it's a lot, man, um, to go in that same order as you went. Yeah, Trey Anderson's a pro. He's, he was going to make an NFL roster no matter what happened in his life. Uh, Daniel Hardy, really cool story. Um, you know, basketball guy that – Found, found his way into a football field. And most of, the, most of the time, those guys don't just necessarily put their hands straight in the dirt. And he did that. And man, his physical development was impressive. And I'm not surprised he made a roster. His, his twitch and, and his explosiveness is second to none. I mean, it's absolutely elite. Lance McCutcheon, I mean, if I could use a bunch of curse words, Coulter, to describe how absolutely nuts it is that he made a roster, it's it's insane. Yeah, It's insane. It's the craziest it, it, it trounces like small town, walk on, Butte America, Cold Anderson, trounces that kind of stuff for his how much of a long shot it was for him to make a roster. You can be like a special teams dynamo and also you can long snap and you can hold and you can do stuff that like brings the Chase Reynolds of the world that brings all of this uh, you know value to the table. But to make it on a Super Bowl winning team the defending Super Bowl champions to make it as a receiver in the NFL as a dude who really never really much even played in college until he was like a junior. You know, he got some run every now and then. What did he catch before his senior year? How many passes did he catch? 20? 15 catches his first three seasons at Montana State. Okay, guys like that. <laughs> like there's dudes like the Cowboy, Jalen Tolbert, who got drafted in the third round. Yeah, as he Over his college career, he had something like 270 catches for 3,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. It's like, yeah, that guy went in the third round and doesn't get activated for the Cowboys their first game. Not on the 53-man roster. A guy like that. So for Lance McCutcheon to do something like that, so impressive. Lastly, I'll finish it up quick. Uh, Lewis Kidd is a pro. Lewis Kidd is a 53-man roster. Uh, He would make 20 teams in the NFL. His size, his ability, his disposition, um, competitive while still, you know, not having to get red in the face. He's just a pro. Uh, I think outside of Trey Anderson, who we always put in this little box, I think it's pretty easy to say that since we've started Skyline, that Lewis Kidd is in the top five most pro-ready players we've covered. I don't even think it's close. You could you could argue that he's the most pro-ready guy. Position versatility definitely ha- helped Lewis Kidd for sure. It's funny to think back to when he was playing defensive line for Montana State. I remember when we were covering the triangle classic and it was his last, it was the last triangle classic spring game in great falls. And it was his last scrimmage playing D tackle. 
And I remember we both talked about it in the drive back. We're like, when are they just going to figure it out? Like they didn't have a bunch of depth on the offensive line at that time. Choate was Jeff Choate was the coach. He's trying to figure out how to run the ball every snap like he wanted to. And you're like, well, why don't they just put the 6'6", 300-pound guy at offensive line? And then they did. That was the plan all along. They just let Lewis Kidd you know, pretend to be a defensive lineman for a, minute, a moment in time. So uh, fun to watch these guys evolve. That's what makes this level of football so uh, fun. Uh, to cover is it's not just you know plug and play five star recruits who you hope stay as good compared to their peers as everybody else. It's actually about development and stuff like that. And uh, you know, I mean, Lance McCutcheon's story is amazing because he was a better basketball player than he was a football player in high school. He's probably actually a better basketball player than he was a football player for the first couple of years of it in college as well. But a great story of dedicating yourself. Uh, and sticking with it. And, you know, like he always says, working in the dark and then letting it come to light. So um, pretty cool. And, I mean, I'll, last question for you on this note. When Daniel Hardy first got moved to defensive end, he'd been playing outside linebacker, and he's good outside linebacker. In their old scheme, he was playing Sam, and he was good. He backed up Troy Anderson. Then when Troy got hurt, it, it was, uh, you know, don't want to say they didn't miss a beat, but, I mean, for what they were using, they were kind of using Troy part-time in a variety of different ways. And Hardy was equal in production when he got there. There was some skepticism, but I think that Daniel Hardy moving to the edge and then becoming NFL on the edge, such a indication to what you're always talking about. NFL guys on the lines are unbelievably crazy big. A lot of places on the other spots defensively and on the perimeter period, they're not like that unusual of size. They have good like physical stature, but they don't have like crazy measurable size like Monday Night Football last night Jordan Brooks for the Seattle Seahawks I mean he's like six foot tall he's like six feet 225 pounds I mean he's not big at all but Hardy is such a great example of that you don't need to look like JJ and TJ Watt you can if you if you can it's all about how long you are and how fast you can run way more than way in 275 pounds this day and age you definitely don't need to weigh 275 but also the NFL the guys just it makes them look bigger because they, they condense the field in a different way. The hash marks are so much closer, so there's so much more spacing on the edge. So edge guys have more room to move. Um, it's one of my favorite things about football is is what you said, Colter. I tell people all the time that most football players are smallish, even in the NFL, man. Like Minka Fitzpatrick is not like a big person. It's not like Jamal Adams for the um, safety for the for the Seahawks is like five nine. 210, you know, like if you saw him, he, yeah, really good mus- muscular structural development. Not huge guys, not a lot of huge receivers either. Everyone thinks that everyone's Megatron. Like it's only Julio Jones that plays receiver in the NFL. It's like just not true at all. You know, Cooper Cup looks like formidable out there and he's like 6'1, 185 pounds, 190 pounds. Like he's just not a huge guy. So yeah, Daniel Hardy has plenty of length. Um, and, and plenty of size. You know, in this day and age, you only need to be 240 to, to get on the edge and get away with being 235. Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Town Pump Food Stores. I'm on the road this week, headed over to Portland, Oregon. So I appreciate Town Pump for getting us to and from all of our various destinations throughout this football season. Also, stay tuned to Nuana's Now My Daily Radio Show on 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN Montana app. I know there's a bunch of you out there that also listen to the Nuana's Now podcast. Appreciate you no matter how you tune in to Nuanas now or this Big Sky Breakdown. We'll also be having some giveaways, though, on the radio portion of this thing uh, for some gift cards for Town Pump. So you'll use your fuel 
Uh, Town Pump also has great rewards programs going on right now, so appreciate Town Pump for being part of our Town Pump by the Mile and keeping us fueled up both in uh, snacks and in gasoline uh, throughout this 2022 uh, football season. The other broad question I want to ask you about, Brooks, is this. The way that we've seen college football evolve, we've there's this this like line drawn in the sand for the haves and the have-nots in terms of the revenue you can produce off the brand that is your football team. Selling tickets. Uh, for a long time in the FCS, there was a variety of programs where it was more beneficial for them to play a home game than it was to play a money game elsewhere. Because you could make five six $600,000 at the gate and you could get a favorable opponent to come to Boone, North Carolina, or, you know, Georgia Southern used to get a lot of good teams to come in. And you're making money because you can make it at the gate. Now, in the FCS, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Montana State, that's about it, where you're actually making real money at the gate no matter who you play. So then it makes it so that these non-conference schedules, it's like, for Big Sky Conference teams, how you play and who you play are two different things, but you're you're kind of gauging it based on how you play, and but not the result of what you did. Because you're either going to just roll Western Oregon, or you're going to roll Moorhead State, or you're going to get whipped by San Diego State, or Oregon, or Florida, whoever you're playing. It just seems sort of silly. Like, this last weekend, I know why Montana State scheduled Moorhead State. They needed to get a home game on the schedule. They needed to get a, a game that they knew they were going to sell out in a nice weather uh, environment. Yet you just you would like to just see a better quality of opponent there, but the, the the decision to play the game has to do with the fan experience and the revenue you make at the gate, not the actual tangible result. What I'm getting at is we've got to this point now where, like a good portion of the non-conference games that we cover in the Big Sky Conference, we already know what the end result's going to be. So then you're just only kind of analyzing like, well, how did they play? And it's like, well, if you just, when you're doing that, then you're just splicing hairs on trying to analyze teams that just lost or teams that just, you know, like I don't even know if Montana State played well or not on Saturday, but they had a 50-point win. Just like I don't know if Eastern Washington played bad or not on Saturday. They just happened to play at Oregon and they got rolled. So it just it's just sort of frustrating to analyze the state of college football where you actually do have uh, irrelevant games on the schedule. Yeah, and that's that's not everybody though. You know, that would sure. that would be the pushback is that there's, you know, Texas A&M probably didn't want to play App State this weekend. <laughs> right. And guess what? App State can't beat Texas A&M unless they play them. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I mean, there's definitely some rough matchups out there. Moorhead State was overmatched. I think that that's fair to say. You know, that's that's a rough a rough trip for them. Uh, but maybe their guys experienced something good and it was positive, and you got to play some football in front of a, a good crowd. And I I see value in this in the student experience kind of across the board. There's a lot of people that get to travel the country that would in no chance have to do that before or after their football experience. And and that's part of the you know that's part of the entire package that these schools sell to kids and i think that there is some i think there is some value to it um for our perspective culture us wily old vets that are you know yelling get off by my lawn yeah man i'd rather them see see them play better games i'd rather see more crossover i'd rather see you know the missouri valley big sky conference challenge like i just don't know why the big sky teams don't play moorhead state the first game and then play the missouri valley back to back 
you know, just like every Big Sky team is playing the Missouri Valley teams across the board the, first, the, the second and third week of the year. Like, that sounds awesome. I don't know why more of that can't happen. Um, same kind of thing, though. You know, I don't think that Sam Houston signed that contract with a home and home for with NAU and want to play NAU this week. Uh, so all that stuff, positives, negatives, I agree with you, um, especially for the blowouts. But heck, I think I learned a little bit about Montana this week playing South Dakota. I think South Dakota is a really good team. I think Montana cleaned them, you know, kind of across the board. And there was some some questions that I had about Montana that, you know, I didn't get full answers, but I definitely got, uh, sh- you know, some lightless shed on several different things that I thought were important. Well, let's go, go there then. 24-7, to 7, Montana beats a quality Missouri Valley school. I thought South Dakota had a lot of talent, both sides of the ball. I thought their lines were very good. What did you think, though, of what the Grizz did? I mean, what what progress, if any, did you see between a 47 nothing win over Northwestern State and a 24-7 win over South Dakota? Or maybe if it wasn't progress, what sort of things did uh, you hope that Montana could figure out how to clean up moving forward? Um, I saw a couple things. I saw um, offensively, I, th- I saw Montana have some success with being versatile in their play calling, but I also saw them pull back and then start to run inside zone when they got up a little bit. So, you know, it's kind of that the 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 knight in shining armor with this little bit of a new offense, the quarterback Lucas Johnson's that shiny knight, and then all of a sudden, you know, coaching maybe get in the way or, or game planning or whatever philosophy, if you will, kind of steps in and, and the offense gets a little boring and slows down. And I think that they should, should have tried to pull away in that game. I think they should have tried to make a statement um, and win, and win uh, you know, win 42 to seven, not 24 seven um, here nor there. It was a good win for Montana. I also thought, um, you know, South Dakota brought out a couple kickoffs, but they also uh, fair caught a couple kickoffs. If people don't know the rule, it probably has been at least five years now or close to where you can fair catch a kickoff and it goes straight out to the 25 yard line, um, 20 yard line in college. I think that that's an interesting move. I think that moving forward, if teams have any idea of what Montana wants to do special teams wise, I think that they should try to fair catch every single ball that's in the air. I think there should be no, they, they should, they should opt out of the special teams game against Montana. I think if you're the other team, you should field balls and down them period. So you'd never have that mishap. Um, I thought that Montana could have blocked a punt if they wanted to on Saturday, but they decided not to dial that up. So learn a little bit more about what they're, what they're thinking. They got that punt block on film the week before so now they're going to pull that back and not show up for a while make sure they can create a new look and, and get a punt when they need to which is something that they've been able to dial up i also thought that you know receiver wise i still think that they're looking for who their top four guys are i don't know if it's malik flowers i don't know if junior bergen's going to play like a downfield role at receiver at all this year is it going to be aaron fonts you know a guy that they put in the game that got a couple downfield targets i think looked really good keelan white had a really good game a guy that didn't play quite as much the first game is he going to step in and have a bigger role ryan simpson was on the field a little bit more uh, so those kind of things where i think that there was not answers but it was nice to see that they were still questioning the receiver room as far as who's going to be those top dogs that start to get more targets i do think that they should shuffle that deck just a touch um, and lastly you know I think over and over again, Coulter, uh, my my patent pending uh, national podcast and brand called Throat to the Tight End <laughs> continues to be true and true. Um, Cole Grossman with another 65-yard pl- uh, catch on the first play of the game and never saw the ball again. I actually had one other catch, I believe. But still, I would develop the tight ends more if I was Montana. Defensively, I think that uh, we saw exactly what, what we're going to continue to see. Um, 
who, how they going to get that third corner on the field? I think you've heard me say that quite a bit, Colter. I don't think that they should play a nickel. I think they should play a third corner. I think that they should play Dawson and Walker and Ford at the same time and not play Cotton as much and maybe take out Graves in a rotation. Maybe put in an extra linebacker. I just think that there's an ability for them to heat it up even more than they do. Um, you know, a little bit of feast or famine if you start to go that route. But I do think that there's some options on defense to, to you know, spark getting your best 11 on the field. Blackfoot Communications just launched new business services delivering big value to smaller firms. With reliable voice, fast internet, business-grade Wi-Fi, and around-the-clock support, Blackfoot ensures you remain connected to your customers, employees, and communities throughout the day, every day. For more information, go to blackfootsmallbusiness.com. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all of their business development and all of their engagement in all of what we do from a podcast and multimedia standpoint. Appreciate uh, Blackfoot for all their creative guidance and uh, just support that they've given us so much of uh, over the last few years as we've continued to grow here at uh, Skyline Sports. The Grizz, uh, the Bobcats headed to, to Portland to p- take on Oregon State. The Grizz headed to Indiana to take on Indiana State. Uh, the Grizz have never been to Indiana State. You talk about the uh, the opportunities for guys to, to see the country. I asked Malik Flowers if he's ever been to Indiana, and he was like, man, I've never been to a lot of places. I kind of only been to the places that the Big Sky Conference has teams in. So it is a, it is a lifetime experience for these guys. Uh, but what do you think of of these two matchups on the road? Uh, both Montana State a heavy uh, underdog and Montana a heavy favorite. So uh, sort of a dichotomy in the quality opponent that they play. But what do you think of the both these teams taking their show on the road before Big Sky Conference play? I think that the Grizz have another good matchup with a, a Missouri Valley opponent that you know has not been at the top of that league. But gosh, man, it's good to play like opponents. I think it's really good to go on the road and play a team that that, that can. It looks similar to what you do. That does things like you do at the FCS level. So I think that it's a good scheduled game. I actually kind of like it. The, the sports books opened at the Grizz as a dog, and that's that's kind of flip. Obviously, they're, not, they're the number two team in the country. I mean, I think that they're going to take care of business. But I continually, and it happens several times on Saturday. I, I hope that the Grizz get challenged. I think it's super important for them to have some challenges early in the season, to have a fumble that they have to get a defensive stop, or to get a, a turnover, and then go have to capitalize, and not to kick a field goal, or if you will. So I think that the, it's a good matchup for the Grizz. I think that. I think if if more FCS teams could have this kind of crossover, as I mentioned on top, I think it'd be important. Montana State, another. I think it'll be a great test. I think that this could be a turning point for Montana State this year, and not necessarily internally, but kind of just the outside perspective and noise that you hear. Um, I think that there's times where they could look really vulnerable on Saturday against a, a pretty good Oregon State team, and I think that there could be some people, some fans that are saying, "Oh shit!" Like we just got crushed, you know? Like we we didn't look like we we could hang. I also think that there'll be some stars and some standouts that say, "Hey, man, look at that guy. We might have lost this game thirty-five to ten, but heck, that guy came up and showed and played." Some of the JC transfer receivers, some of the young guys on offense, um, especially at running back. You know, Elijah Elliott's going to get most of the carries, but Garrett Coon's going to be there in sec- second string. Never did I think that Garrett Coon would be uh, the second string running back at an FBS game. It's awesome. Good for him. Um, but you never know. You never know when guys can, can, can show up, especially late in the game. Oregon State puts some backups in if things aren't going their way. Uh, Montana State's way. And Montana State could, you know, make some gashes and get some confidence. So 
again, a money game, we kind of assume what we think we'll know will happen, but you play the game for a reason. Last thing for you here, Big Sky Breakdown, Brooks Nuana is doing an S. Uh, the probably best win of the Big Sky Conference this last week was Weber State rolling up Utah State 35-7. to No offensive touchdowns for the Aggies and Logan. You can't really call it an upset because the Aggies were only eight and a half point favorites going into the game, but that's a statement win. And there's also, I mean, Jay Hill's kind of Mr. Utah. He played at Utah. He coached at Utah. He's always like the first name mentioned when Utah or Utah State is, oh, I guess Utah hasn't been open in a decade plus because Kyle Winningham's is there for life, I guess. But Utah State's opened up several times and Jay Hill seems to be the name that's always on the top people's list, but then he never has gotten an opportunity to do it. And uh, so that probably felt pretty good for him to go to Logan and and drill him. But, uh, I mean, quintessential Weaver State, just four picks and and, uh, not overmatched whatsoever on the lines. You and I both agree that Weaver State maybe is underrated coming into this year. What did you think of that win by the Wildcats? I loved it. I thought Weaver State looked very Weaver State-esque, which is a very good thing for them. I think they're going to give people hell on the biggest guy. I think that they could go out and, 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 and win the league. I really do. I, we'll see what Eastern ends up being like. There's a couple teams that you know we still have no idea. I think mean, NAU took took a step forward. I think SAC is still good, but where where is SAC in that in that in that big picture? And the Montana Montana State are really good. We know that. But I think depending on the matchup, depending on the week, depending on the you know the injuries and the, what the depth chart looks like, I think Weber State could come into 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 Bozeman and and, and wax the Cats. I mean, I think they're really good. Uh, we'll see how the quarterback play continues to develop. You, you get four picks. You, you, you hope you, you win that game. I don't think no matter who you're playing, if you get four picks that you assume you're going to lose. So defensively, they obviously have things rolling. I only got to see probably, I don't know, eight minutes of game time. And I saw, saw a couple highlights. So, you know, not fully ver- versed on exactly what they want to do offensively. But it's going to be similar. Josh Davis is going to get the football and they're, they're, they're going to look good doing it. Um, up Big up front on both lines. I think Weber State's going to finish this season close to the top five in the country, especially if they get a win at Montana, Montana State. There you go, Big Sky Breakdown. Brooks Nuana at SkylineSportsMT.com. He joins us each week here. We're hearing from Ty Gregorak next. Keep it right here on the Big Sky Breakdown, presented by Town Pump, Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth, Opportunity Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and J&V Restaurant Supply. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC. Big Sky Breakdown, and this is actually crazy. We, I'm coming to you from Portland. Ty Gregorak, who joins us now, he's coming to you from somewhere in the middle of Wyoming. <laughs> but uh, technology is awesome. Coach Ty, how you doing, man? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good, man. Uh, first and foremost, we talk so much about the Big Sky Conference, but I know you're a big college football nut on the all the levels of college football, and uh, it, it's amazing what we see in the world of football, period. I mean, it just keeps getting crazier. The NFL is crazy. And so is college football. I mean, last week, though, some of the biggest and most unlikely wins we've ever seen. I mean, App State going to Texas A&M, unbelievable. That party in Boone, North Carolina, crazy. But then you also had Wisconsin losing at home to Washington State. Notre Dame gets rolled up. I mean, Nebraska gets beat so bad, Scott Frost gets fired. It was an unbelievable week one of college football. 
It was uh, fascinating. I'm I'm saying it's one of the wildest weeks maybe ever in, in, in college football. I mean, I know that's probably a little dramatic, but, man, you look at some of the scores and, it's, yeah, it was – a very very uh, special. I mean, Alabama Texas. You forgot about For that. Sure. That was a great game. That was a great game, and a lot of. I don't know if if Alabama just didn't. I, I have this big text thread with a lot of my old CEO. We'll have to get to the University of Colorado as soon as we're done talking about Texas. Um, but I had this massive text thread with a bunch of my old players, and, and they're like, you know, Alabama's going to do this and this, and I'm like, you know, guys, don't forget half the staff at Texas has, has coached with Nick Saban or has Saban ties. You know? right. So they, 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 they know they know that group very well. It was at home. I mean, it was, it was just a great game. So whether Texas has improved dramatically or Alabama just didn't play that well, I think Alabama is still one of the best teams in the country, and I think they'll they'll prove prove that here uh, throughout the season. And I think Texas, especially losing their quarterback, who knows? But they're obviously improved and. Sark and those guys have done a good job. But then, yes, my alma mater might be the worst football program in, in all of Man. Power 5 right now. Man. They're so bad. I mean, the, to, to lose by 31 points to Air Force and give – Air Force is a good team. Don't get me wrong. But, sure. I mean, they they opened up that game as over two touchdown dogs. Okay, so the, the, take, take the game away. And then this week – they're playing. I, I think Minnesota, you know, preseason finished, you know, eighth or ninth, maybe seventh or whatever in the Big Ten preseason polls, and they're thirty-point dogs. They're almost thirty-point oh dogs to the gosh. University of Minnesota. So things are not good in Boulder, Colorado, right now, Coulter. No, it's definitely not. the uh, The craziest part about last weekend is one thing that I always bitch about in college football is these non-conference games where teams are essentially buying wins. That was what was so great about last week, though. That, that was supposed to be a bot win for Texas A&M. That was supposed to be Notre Dame just buying a win. Nebraska just buying a win. Even Colorado probably against Air Force just buying a win. And they don't get it. So uh, maybe I've got it all wrong. <laughs> maybe there is no such thing as a bot win. And, uh, you know, you, get, you better show up because if you don't, you're going to get your ass beat. Yeah, well, and, and we saw it last week in, the, in Washington State. That's a great win. Like, okay, if you would have told great me that win. game was in Pullman, yeah, if, if that was in Pullman, I'd be like, okay, you know, that's a pretty big time win. But I want to say, I want to say that's Washington State's. I, I heard or read something. It's, it's it's Washington State's first top twenty win in in a long, long time. I can't remember the year, but what a great that was a great win for uh, Coach Dickert, and I know he and a lot of those guys have uh, Wisconsin ties. I think he played there actually and was a really good player there. So. It's going to be a wild season of college football. I think. I think that you're kind of, you kind of saw the the true effect of COVID that year after COVID. But yep. you can still you can still kind of see residualish type effects uh, with you know with a lot of these super duper seniors and you know youngsters that are coming out now with NIL deals and I mean college athletics as, as we know it are dead man. It's just a whole new world. It's a whole new world for sure. Ty Gregory joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown and. Uh, so let's talk about, speaking of bought wins, Montana State certainly bought themselves a win this last week. We have hardly talked about it on uh, Nuana's Now, my radio show, because, you know, I watched the first quarter, and it's 28 nothing, and the Cats don't even have any running backs, but they still can't run out the clock. But they were able to get a lot of work in in terms of running all the different things in their offense, wide receiver reverse. They got a whole bunch of guys on the field. But, I mean, you've coached in the big sky for a long time. What When you play a team like that, you know, non-scholarship team that's coming, you know, to your house early in the season. 
how do you go about managing? I mean, what do you get out of it when you kind of do, it's just like a foregone conclusion that you're just going to win? Well, ho- hopefully, you know, you can secure things pretty good in the first half. Maybe play your starters a bit in the second half just to, you know, it's still early in the season. There's still a lot of players on that team, you know, getting those early season reps. Um, and then you just really want to stay healthy. And sadly, Montana State, especially that backfield, is not that healthy right now, which no. is a little, which is a little worrisome going into Corvallis. Well, I'm sorry, going into the Rose City. Is yes. it the Rose City culture, or is it the City of City Rose? of Roses? There are roses yeah, everywhere. Anyway, I don't know why, but there are. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but yeah, that, that's that's concerning though. I mean, you want you want to those those games you want to a win, b play a lot of your youngsters, and c come out of it healthy. And sadly, I mean, it was it was a romp. It was a you know, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good takeaways from it, but I mean, what, what, it is very concerning to me looking at that backfield right now for the Bobcats. For sure, I, I want to ask you about some of the positives though, because I, I did think that week one and the first half against McNeese State, you could definitely tell guys were sort of readjusting to play in without a couple NFL guys on the defense and without a couple really other great players up front. But it seems like there, oh, two games in here, there's quite a few guys that are settling in, but I've been very impressed uh, up front with particularly Sebastian Valdez. And I remember the first time I walked down the hall with him and just looking at him, I'm like, well, that guy looks different. I mean, he, that's not what really FCS defensive linemen look like. He's, he's cut from a different sort of cloth. I mean, he's just so lean and, and just so huge still. Uh, But now he seems like he's putting that together too, though. It seems like he's really gotten better. So, I mean, what have you seen out of him up front? Yeah, he's a savage. I mean, he, you, you're right. I, I haven't been up close and personal like you, but uh, I've been on the field, and, and he does look different. And that's how they're supposed to look. You put, you put uh, two kids in the NFL draft, and a few others get free agent deals. You want to be able to replace that. So obviously, you know, toward towards the end of the recruiting era for for Coach Chode and into uh, Coach Deacon's era of recruiting, they're 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 still getting some cats, you know. So. Or, I mean, no pun intended. I'm here. <laughs> it's like some dudes, some dogs, uh, you know. But, yeah, he, I'm excited to keep watching him and, and, and really get to focus on him now that I'll, I'll be covering the game starting next week. But he he is a dude. And you got to replace Amandre and Chase. And it's good that they, they did that, you know. Because if you're a linebacker, that's what you want to see in front of you. And Danny Uliakepa, Danny U is what we usually call him, uh, he seems to be coming that's, along. That's, that's, I'm, buddy, I'm, buddy, I'm going to be on TV going, and a great play by Danny Yu. <laughs> it's, it's too many dang uh, syllables. and I mean, man, it's a lot. It is a lot. But he he's coming along, too. Uh, when you've coached young linebackers, though, what's the thing that makes it click for him? Because he obviously has ability. I mean, he, he's he's not scared. He's got great courage. He puts his nose in there. He's physical. He can tackle all that stuff. It's more just about learning where to go and when to go there. So, I mean, when does it click, though, for a young linebacker? Because it seems like, I mean, he seemed to me like he made a huge jump from week one to week two. Yeah, and I think I think the opposition was probably not quite the same athletically as what he saw in week one. So, I mean, I, I think with young linebackers, I mean, hopefully if they possess the, the, you know, the, the athletic tools, it's all about just kind of teaching them the, the game within the game and the nuances and then most importantly where your eyes are at pre, you know, Pre, pre-snap, pre-snap stuff is huge at linebacker. I mean, I always used to say it was seventy-five percent of the play is what what you're looking at, what you're seeing, what you're knowing by you know film study and believing you're going to get at the play. I mean, it's an offensive world culture. You know this. Defense. Yeah. We're just trying to we're just trying to pay rent and and hopefully get a few stops. And uh, 
yeah, with the young linebackers, it's all about their eyes. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to watch the Bobcat defense too because uh, we haven't necessarily because of the two opponents that they played, we haven't necessarily seen how much the scheme has changed. But I think it's changed a little bit. It's in premise in base, it's the same thing they were running a year ago. But when you really look at it, it looks like there's running more man stuff. They just haven't played teams that have passed it that much. And when Moorhead State did pass it, it was just a jailbreak. They were getting so much pressure up front. But I'm interested to see how that part goes because, you know, we've talked about so much about the front seven of MSU over the last five years. I mean, you were a part of that. Jeff Cho was a part of that. But they've had such great players up there. The secondary has had good players, but we haven't necessarily got a chance to see a lot of those guys get as tested I think this year, if, if and when they get to the point where in the schedule where they're playing teams that are going to throw the ball quite a bit, it's going to be tested. Uh, so then how do you sort of gauge where they're at in that sort of adjustment, playing a lot more man, especially when you're going to play a Pac-12 this week, but you got Eastern Washington on the horizon as well? Totally. I, well, you got to understand, too, Coulter, a lot of man concepts have zone concepts with sure. and vice versa you know there's a lot of times in different zone coverages that you end up playing man depending on what kind of route you get so i think this week's going to be a really interesting test because i think we, like like you just were saying though we saw uh, you know and going back to week week one their culture because you were talking about the slow start in the first half you understand too a first game coming off of you know fall camp coming off a half year or more of no football uh, essentially but b that was a new coaching staff too right so the evaluation of mcneese itself would have been challenging you you could evaluate some of the players but i want i want to i want to say i remember you saying i think over wasn't it over 50 percent or 60 percent of that whole yeah i mean they they have 50 something new guys for sure yeah yeah and you know so so then as a coach you're trying to piece together you know where the where the guy came from valdosta state where did his coordinator come from what was he running so i think i think this is going to be a great test a we know athletically montana state you know can't and won't match up well to a to a pac-12 so and i think this could be one of jonathan uh jonathan smith's best team uh, yeah. thus far too i mean it looks like they're going to be right there in the i mean i i don't want to call them well sadly they're not in the lower half of the Pac-12, you know, because that that that's just mostly dominated by by the University of Colorado. They're, they're just way down there. Um, but no, they, they, this should be a good test. I mean, not having it at Reese Stadium is probably a good thing because I think MSU will show up well and have a good crowd there because we've got a good alumni base there. So I think just like to me, I'm trying to go play my butt off because I'll tell you this: FCS football. I mean, FCS football is kind of making some noise this fall in my mind. You know, For I sure. think. I think I think it's you know seeing some of these lower tier Division One teams going going you know going to Notre Dame and winning. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of good FCS programs and a lot of good talent at the FCS level right now because of things like the transfer portal and some of these NLI deals and just different things going on. So I just hope we go we we, we show up play a great sound game. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd get crazy as a coach and try to go over the top with things I'm showing and not showing because of, you know, uh, conference play the, the next week. But, but ultimately, you know, obviously you never, you, you always want to go and you, you want to try to win the game. There's no question about it. But when you play up a level, all you're really hoping to is to also come home healthy. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, exciting game to watch. 
Whether you're in the restaurant business or you just want to host any big event, JMV Restaurant Supply can make sure you have everything you need. JMV Restaurant Supply is your home for everything kitchen. Whether you're a bear or a bobcat, an eagle or a Scotty, JMV Restaurant has everything you might need. They have locations in Bozeman, Billings, and Great Falls. If you can't make it in, JMV also has a great website, jvrestaurant.com. Get everything you need for your next event at JMV, your restaurant specialist. Basically, a breakdown presented in part by JV Restaurant Supply. Need anything for your tailgate? Go check out jvrestaurant.com. Ty Gregorak joining us here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the Grizz. I want to ask you this because you've coached for Bobby Houck uh, for many seasons, and it's so interesting to me to watch. You can gauge just how much confidence he has in uh, little things like his or big things like right now in his defense the last two weeks when montana's gotten up by two scores the play calling offensively has disappeared and they've just wanted to sit on it and not do anything creative because i think that when he rolls this defense out there he's it's not even just that he has so much confidence in him he's trying to put them in spots where they have to continue to make stops but it's unbelievable to watch because they are just like a three-and-out machine. I mean, I think they forced like 14 three-and-outs the other week against South Dakota. They only gave up 11 first downs. You take away two gash play runs, and they gave up like 120 yards. I mean, they're just smothering teams right now. But, I mean, what do you think of this tactic where he's trying to keep both sides of the ball hungry because he does know he's so dominant on one side of the ball? Well, I was. I, I appreciate you asking me the question, but I kind of want to ask you the question. Yeah. Because yes, I did coach for Bobby Hunt for seven years, and yes, I did coach at the University of Montana for twelve years. And my question to you, Coulter, is: What are they complaining about this week? <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with Montana this week? We gave up a touchdown. Oh God, no, not a touchdown in two games. I mean, it's okay. So. If the play calling, and again, I haven't got to watch every snap of Montana's season this year, but hmm, they've outscored their opponents like, I don't know, 80 to 7 or whatever the final two final scores is now, uh, or scores are. Uh, Patrick McConnell is a man amongst boys and playing like an absolute maniac and machine. Uh, and, you know, offensively, I would imagine after you, you go up, I mean, I guess unless you're looking for 63 to nothing blowouts, um, <laughs> I don't know if if I'm if I'm if I'm part of the Grizz Nation, I'm feeling pretty good about where my team is right now. Oh, yeah. Just beat a a, a a good, even maybe better than good Missouri Valley team, which is, these are the matchups that I love to see. And then and now and now they they want, they took care of business at home, and now they have their first test. Even though the the opponent, I don't believe is. You know, I don't. Even, I don't think they're probably nearly as good as South Dakota. But you yeah. got to go on the road to to a very foreign place. I don't think I was listening to one of your shows, and you said that Montana's. I don't think ever even played in the state of Indiana no. before. So I don't know. I I just I, I I just it's just funny, man, because I lived it and breathed it, and you know. But, Co- but Coach Huck puts that kind of pressure on 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 the staff and team too now. Like you know, that wasn't good enough for him. For sure. I mean, it. it, it and that and that's the beautiful thing about coaching for for Bobby. I mean, he. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember playing Hofstra one year, and you probably remember this. It was like oh three oh four, and we're up like twenty eight to three or something. And he just rips us, just rips us at halftime. <laughs> and then after the game, we had another dose in the in the locker room, or no, we were in the weight room. 
And we're just like, all right, this, here we go. This is Montana football. We won by like four touchdowns or whatever it was. So that's just, you know, he, he, he keeps his thumb on you as a, as a coach and a player because it's never good enough. And, and again, shoot, Bobby, Bobby's been to Chattanooga three times and came away empty all three times. And I know, like, in my mind, nothing will ever be good enough to, to him until he wins it. So, I mean, I, 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 to me, to me, this is another – I think this is the, the biggest test of the year right now, and not be from an opponent-wise, but just, okay, here's what we've done the last couple of weeks. Yep. Our defense is good. Everybody knows it. Offensively, okay, are we good? Are we are we just are we just letting our defense win all the I think this is a big test just because they got to pack up, you know, the massive semi and jump on a charter plane and go to go to un, uh, really, I mean, truly uncharted waters because they've never been there. So. I'm excited. I think they're going to go play well. I think if I'm if I'm a Grizz fan right now, I'm feeling really, really good about where my football team's at. That's just me. Oh, for sure, absolutely. And and you're right, Bobby. How I mean, in the post game, he said, "At no point was I ever uncomfortable in this game because he knew they were in control and he knows he, his defense could control it so much." But he also said, "We got to stop fumbling in the red zone." You know, I think the Junior Bergen's going to be in the doghouse if he coughs another one up in the red zone. And uh, you know, he also said, "We got to close out games better because they did have a hard time." running the ball out in the fourth quarter. But last question for you, Ty. You've been to places that are tough to get to. I mean, McComb, Illinois comes to mind. Or I mean, there's places where you fly here, you fly there, but then you got a bus and you got to load the semis up and all that stuff. So uh, especially when you've never been there before, I mean, it, it is. It's a hard challenge just because, especially when you remember that you're coaching kids. I mean, these are kids that are going to places that they've never been before. So it is sort of interesting the way it affects the energy and the dynamic and, and all that stuff. But, I mean, when you go to a place that is sort of an outpost that doesn't have, you know, a crazy following, crazy fan base, and it is tough to get to across the country, I mean, what are the challenges in preparing a team for that? I think I think it's just Bobby does a great job of, you know, gentlemen, this is a business trip, period. It doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the coolest thing about being a Montana Grizzly football player is the fan base they get to play in front of every Saturday. One of the toughest things about being a Grizzly football player is when you leave the you know the confines of Washington Grizz, you're not going to get even close to half that you know, and so that that can be a challenge. Just you know, being in what looks like a glorified high school stadium. In fact, a lot of high school stadiums are better, better and bigger and, and more packed than some of the stadiums that these guys are going to travel to. So I think it's just a truly a attention to detail business trip. Stay focused. It doesn't matter if there's 27,000 people in maroon and silver or if there's 7,000, maybe. Uh, you know, it's, they're, they're on a mission this year. They want to make a run. Winning on the road is what makes great, great teams. Win, winning at home, I mean, just look at statistically, right? Winning at home is you're going to win 60, 65% of your games in college football. Going on the road is hard, and that's, that's when championship teams are made because it is hard to win on the road. Tiger Rack Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Nick Tabor and Westpac Wealth. In all financial questions, Nick has got you covered. He can get you all set up whether you're in the mood for investments or you need some financial advice, whole life insurance, all sorts of different things. Give Nick and his team a call today. Ty, thanks for being with us, man. We really appreciate it, and we'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good, Culture. Enjoy the game this weekend. 
Part of the glory of building a business comes from leaving a legacy to ensure your business continues thriving into the future. Have you asked yourself lately, what is your plan? Forming a personalized business succession plan is essential to know the passion you put into your business will carry on. Nick Tabor at Westpac Wealth is here to help you navigate all your business succession and retirement planning needs. Give Nick a call at 728-6699 and keep the spirit of possibility vibrant while making your future more tax efficient with a personalized business succession and retirement plan for you. We go now to the Rangers Brothers Army phone line. Welcome in a great friend of this show and uh, a guy who knows FCS football on a national level better than anybody. And uh, FBS what? That's the uh, the theme of this week's interview. Sam Herter joins us from Hero Sports and Bet MGM. And Sam, a whole lot of pandemonium when it comes to a lot of the crossover wins, but a lot of the FCS teams that were quote-unquote playing up didn't like they look like they were playing up at all. How you doing, man? And what a what a good week it was for the FCS this last week. Yeah, I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me back on. There were four uh, FBS or FCS over FBS wins last weekend, so that's now six total, uh, which is still far below the average. There was about 12 FCS over FBS wins last year, which is I think like 10 to 12 is usually the average, and so. Uh, you know, six total on the year is solid, uh, but it's always funny that, you know, whenever there's like a, a batch, like there was this last weekend where there's four, you know, I get some questions. Oh, this must be like the most there's ever been, right? Six is a ton. It's like, well, no, still got a ways to go to hit that average, but there potentially could be a couple more uh, this weekend. And so it's it's always fun to see those FCS teams beat FBS teams just with the scholarship differential and, you know, kind of something that always makes this level of football uh, pretty excited. For sure, and I, I've observed a lot of this as well, but I think that one thing that really stood out about this season so far, and particularly this last week, is just the way that some of these FCS programs are able to move the ball. I mean, last year when Montana beat Washington, that was, uh, I, I don't want to say unique, but a very rare win because Montana did it almost completely defensively. It was a 13-7 to victory, and they held the Huskies completely in check. They actually dominated the game from a physical standpoint, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. But this this last week, it was how dominant some of the offenses looked. I mean, Incarnate Word hangs 55 on Nevada in a, in a two-touchdown victory uh, over the Wolfpack. Um, he also had the crazy seven-overtime game with Eastern Kentucky, 59-57. <laughs> Eastern Kentucky wins in seven overtimes uh, over Bowling Green. And then maybe the most eye-opening win – was Weber State just completely pounding Utah State 35-7, to didn't give up an offensive touchdown, forced four uh, Utah State turnovers. But to you, Sam, uh, which one of these wins was most impressive for these uh, FCSs toppling FBSs? Ooh, I think, man, either UIW or Weber State. I'll, I'll probably go with Weber State just because it came against an in-state team uh you know that's just going to be huge not only for the momentum of, of weber state and positioning themselves for the playoffs but also beyond uh you know uh, i'm sure uh that that coaching staff and jay hill they're going to use the, that win to their advantage when it comes to recruiting right especially when you have you know ex-player that has a walk-on opportunity at utah state versus a, a partial or full ride scholarship at, at weber state you know if, if you're that recruit who, who do you want to go to uh, you know that so that could be a good recruiting pitch but you make a good point of you know how yeah, sometimes in the past when you when you see an fcs over fbs win it's you know 13 to 7 10 to 6 kind of kind of low scoring where it's a it's a sloppy game and you know the the fcs team has to kind of 
grind it out and make it and make it kind of an ugly game to get a win there. But I think the FCS now, you know, I've I've made a lot of bones about you know the fact that you know program wise the FCS is watered down and weekend. But I think just the level of athletes and the level of talent in the FCS has never been better. Uh, and I think you know before you know maybe the, the biggest difference between G five and the FCS was the level of athlete where you know the the G5 has has six three defensive ends, six four defensive ends. The FCS has six two defensive ends, or you know they have six five, six four wide receivers at the FBS, and now in, in, at the FCS maybe there is you know six one uh, receivers or six five tight ends there in the FCS, six three tight ends, and there's just like different size, different athleticism. I think that used to be the case, but not anymore. I think the FCS has you know has never gotten better talent recruiting wise out of high school, but I also think the transfer portal has actually benefited the FCS just as much as it's negatively impacted the FCS because there's a lot of FBS to FCS quote unquote drop downs. And yeah, not every guy pans out, but there was like six conference players of the week this last weekend that were all FBS transfers. Uh, and then you look at three top 10 teams in the polls, uh, Montana, Chattanooga, uh, incarnate word. They all have transfer quarterbacks that are making, you know, that are making a big difference. And so I just think the overall talent level in the FCS has never been better and the line between the FCS and the G five continues to get blurred a little bit. Sam Herter joining us hero sports, FCS senior analyst, as well as uh, bet MGM. And Sam, I want to ask you about incarnate word. Cause they're a team that came to Montana, I guess, 2018, the first round of the playoffs, and that was when Eric Morris was still the head coach, who's a disciple of Mike Leach and a guy who uh, is, is sort of an air raid offense guru, having spent time there at Texas Tech. And Carter Word was sort of in that similar form. And I wrote a story a couple weeks ago when we had a couple once proud Southland programs, McNeese State and Northwestern State, coming to Montana. And it was kind of just about the evolution of and sort of the attrition that has affected the Southland Conference. But for all of the attrition and all of the teams that have moved up and moved on out of the Southland, Incarnate Word, sort of a new, newer program to the scene, seems like they've really taken that spot atop the Southland as the representative from that conference that is in the conversation among the national elite. And they've done it even with a coaching transition and their stud quarterback from a year ago moving on. So what has Incarnate Word done well and, and how are they able to sit here now as a top 10 team and one that just hung 55 points on a Mountain West squad in Nevada. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably overlooked Lindsey Scott Jr. Uh, a little bit this offseason. Uh, UIW starting quarterback Cameron Ward goes to Washington State. So UIW goes to the transfer portal to find you know a new quarterback for them. And they grab Lindsey Scott Jr., an in-conference transfer from Nichols. And Lindsey Scott Jr. was fantastic last year and during the spring season, but he was probably flying under the radar because he was playing in the same conference as Cole Kelly and Cameron Ward. And so maybe he flew under the radar a little bit, but I've always been high on him. And so I think his play has, you know, really allowed UIW to not take a step back at all and possibly even take a step forward. I I also think uh, they've gotten a lot better uh, defensively. They brought in, I want to say 10 FBS transfers uh, this off season. Most of them have come from, uh, or most of them play on the defensive side of the football. Uh, they have a transfer right now, Whitaker from FIU, a defensive end. He has six sacks uh, in two games. And, you know, that just kind of goes back to the transfer portal where if you bring in a lot of FBS transfers, sometimes that can, you know, kind of turn you into a dumpster fire like Southern Illinois where things just aren't clicking. But other times it can make you an instant, you know, I don't know about national contender, but instantly make you a quarterfinal or semifinal team. And I think we're seeing that with UIW 
and Chattanooga, two teams that have brought in a high number of FBS transfers, and things just seem to be clicking with, for them right now. And they, they've all they both taken a step forward. And you're right about the Weber State narrative about uh, you know they've played. Uh, Utah State in the past. They've been in the mix with Utah State, but to pound Utah State, I think that resonates in-state. I also think it's a little bit of leverage for Jay Hill because it seems like Utah State's come open a couple times since Jay Hill has been leading the the rise to prominence for Weber State. His name seems to be circulated in a lot of different head coaching openings, but particularly that one there in Logan. And now maybe that is another uh, piece of leverage there as well. But you and I both have been talking since the Big Sky kickoff in July, Sam, about how Weber State, they had the year last year where they didn't make the playoffs for the first time in a handful of seasons. And it seemed to kind of make people outside of the state of Utah down a little bit on Weber State and forget a little bit about them. And we thought that might actually cater to them uh, having a pretty big year. So what are your thoughts on the Wildcats and how much that win could then affect uh, their national recognition and also just their confidence with conference play coming up here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I do think maybe people forgot that this was a program that won, what, four or five Big Sky titles in a row, That's made right. back-to-back quarterfinals, made the 2019 semifinals, uh, and, you know, they made the playoffs in the spring uh, but lost at home last year, missed in the last season, missed the playoffs. And so maybe they, fall, they fell off of uh, people's, radars a little bit as far as voters in the preseason uh but i mean weber state has been that program that you know always seems to reload and i remember um i think it was i think it was that 2019 season where they lost like nine of their top 11 tacklers from the 2018 season uh and you know a lot of people oh maybe weber state they'll take a step back defensively but they just continually reload especially on the defensive side and i think they've done that again this year with a lot of big name gone uh, big name names that are gone, uh, but, but guys that have stepped up. And I also think offensively, you know, with a new offensive coordinator, you know, maybe getting a bit more explosive, maybe opening things up. Um, I think Bronson Barron has a strong arm. Uh, you also have a great rushing attack. Uh, Josh Davis has looked great. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed he stays healthy because he has, I mean, he was one of the best running backs as a freshman back in 2018 or 2019. Uh, and maybe he's fallen off the national radar too, just because he's been injured. But there's a lot of talent there. And I think Weber State is now shown they're they're definitely in contention for that big sky title sam herder joining us here on to on is now espn radio swx montana television and the new espn montana app Uh, sam let's talk about the montana schools because they're both sitting here in the top four of the polls montana the university of montana has been impressive so far in their two victories 47-0 over northwestern state and 24-7 over a South Dakota team that made the playoffs a year ago. Montana State uh, got it going a little bit in the second half against McNeese State on the way to a 40-17 to victory. And then last week, no contest against a overmatched Moorhead State squad, 63-13. The Bobcats roll past the uh, Eagles of the Pioneer Football League. Um, which one of these two teams have you been able to gauge more about from the two opponents that they've played so far? Yeah, definitely Montana. It's really hard to, as far as Montana State, it's hard to gauge a whole lot just because the two opponents haven't been good. Uh, And even this weekend, you know, Oregon State, I think if Montana State was fully healthy, it could be a good game, and it still might be a good game, but if, you know, Montana State loses by 14, 17 points, I still don't know if that is a great gauge just because of the injuries at the running back position and not being at at full strength there offensively. Uh, And, you know, beating up on two lesser opponents, 
I think what it does show us is, is new guys are, are ready to, to step up. You know, we've seen different receivers step up. We've seen some new new name, or not necessarily new name, but new starters, I guess, on the defensive line uh, stepping up. Um, and so I think that's really what, what's been shown by Montana State the first two games is maybe just building out that depth and saying, all right, here's our, our new you know standout defensive tackle. Here's our new go-to receiver. Now it's just a matter of, can they produce like that when they play some of the tougher teams in the big sky? And, you know, with with Montana, I think the first game, not like a huge gauge, but this last game against South Dakota, who is, uh, you know, a pretty solid program, a good team. Most of their returners are back from last year's playoff squad. Uh, I think this is a, that, that was a great gauge uh, for the Grizz. Um, and I watched that game, and, you know, you look at the end of the, at the, end of the game, it's 24-7, and you're kind of like, heck, it feels like it was a, 42 to 7 type of ball game. It really didn't feel all that close. Uh, you know, Montana wasn't able to finish some drives, maybe let off the gas uh, a little bit. Uh, but I thought overall, the defense, in my opinion, is arguably the, the best in the FCS uh, alongside Jackson State. I think those are the two most fun defenses to watch in the FCS. And I think offensively, uh, the offensive line looks better. Um, some new receivers like uh, Junior Bergen, it seems like he's stepping up to be the uh, to be the playmaker, and I really like Lucas Johnson uh, so far. You can, you know, I'm I'm never going to pretend to be a great X's and O's guys or a scout or anything like that. But sometimes when you watch quarterbacks, you can just tell they get it, and you can tell that Lucas Johnson is a I, be, I believe what he's a, he's a six year senior. Like he just looks smooth, he looks comfortable, um, great arm. Uh, he's smart when he runs the ball. Uh, I think he has that it factor about about him that Montana probably hasn't had the last couple of seasons. Sam Herder joining us, Hero Sports. Bet MGM. It's Nuanas now. ESPN Radio. Given that Montana did have a dominant performance, particularly defensively against South Dakota, and given that UC Davis went to Brookings and gave number two South Dakota State all they could handle uh, before South Dakota State emerged with a twenty-four to twenty-two victory, some polls had uh, Montana at two and South Dakota State at, at three, and others South Dakota State stuck it to. So are you surprised that, that Montana wasn't able to leapfrog South Dakota State across the board? No, I, I wasn't too surprised. I did switch Montana and South Dakota State around. So I have Montana number two uh, in, in South Dakota State number three in my ballot. But I wasn't too surprised that in the actual media poll, uh, those stayed the same uh, with South Dakota State being two, just because I think, um, you know, people might not switch around uh their order if, if two teams win. Uh, I kind of have the mindset with my ballot of, of reevaluating things every week. And so even if I have teams A, B, C, D in that order and all four win, I'm not a, I'm not afraid to put, you know, D all the way to, to the second, uh, you know, ahead of uh, B and C just based off of what I see. And I, I think right now Montana looks like the better team than South Dakota State. Now, again, in, in three weeks, if both teams win, three more games and all of a sudden South Dakota state is, is really clicking offensively. I, I wouldn't be afraid to put the Jacks ahead of Montana. You know, if maybe Montana, it doesn't look as good against some top big sky teams and South Dakota state really hammer some quality opponents. I can switch them back. But right now I think both defenses are very, very good. Uh, really a legit defense. The South Dakota state's defense has, has impressed me, but I give Montana's defense the edge there. And I, I just think Montana's clicking better uh, offensively. South Dakota state. Mark Ranowski, who I think is a fantastic talent, uh, you know, definitely rust factor. Uh, I think is settling in uh, with him, just missing a year of action. I think their offensive line has some things to figure out as well. So I, I just believe that Montana is, is the more complete team right now. So I do have the Grizz number two. Last thing for you, then, 
Is there anybody in the that's in, kind of in this national discussion right now that you think has has come out of nowhere, or anybody that surprised you that they haven't been as good as maybe you thought? I mean, who are some of the sort of surprise teams uh, nationally uh, around the FCS right now? Uh, yeah, I think as far as disappointing, uh, Southern Illinois and ETSU, uh, I think have been pretty pretty disappointing. I wasn't as high on Southern Illinois as maybe some voters were. Uh, they, they opened the season at number nine, I believe. I had them, I think, at number 11 or number 12, so just outside the top 10. But they've gone 0-2, a uh, blowout loss to UIW, then losing to SEMO this last weekend. That was uh, a really big surprise. So, um, you know, kind of disappointed in Southern Illinois. That's That's been a surprise as far as teams that I thought would be pretty good that that uh, has not turned out to be all that all that good. Um, on the flip side, you know UIW. I think you know, it's 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 interesting it, uh, interesting because I I wrote a in a column in May uh, talking about some under the radar teams that may not be getting a ton of preseason love, but I think could be pretty good. And I had I had of those five, I had Weber State, Incarnate Word, uh, and then Delaware uh, as well. And all three of those teams right now are, are in the top ten, whereas you know in the preseason they were outside the top fifteen, and so. I guess just nationally, those are probably three teams that maybe were under the radar a little bit that have now emerged as teams that can make decent noise in the playoffs. He's Sam Herter, Senior FCS Analyst for Hero Sports. You can follow along on Twitter at Sam Herder. That's H-E-R-D-E-R-F-C-S. You can also find uh, all of his great writing at Herosports.com. Sam, appreciate you joining us, man. You're welcome back anytime. And, of course, I'm going to always ask you to come back. But uh, keep up the great work, and uh, thanks for the great analysis here today. Yeah, I always appreciate the conversation and appreciate you always having me on. There you go. Sam Herter, one of the best around. Appreciate him for always contributing here uh, on Nuanas Now on ESPN Radio. Join Tom Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any town pump across Montana. Plus, earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Town Pump.